Hey there, you're listening to Frequency Conversations, the podcast where we talk about the kingdom of God invading every space in every way. My name is Jeshua, and as usual, I'm sitting down with Julian and Katia Adams, the founders of Frequency, and today we're going to be talking about the prophetic. This is a topic that Julian is really experienced in. He's written several books on the subject and lots of teachings, and so I'm excited to ask him some fun questions. It's a fun one today. We get to hear a little bit of Julian's story in the prophetic, how he figured out he was prophetic. We ask the question, can anyone prophesy? We hear from Katia what it's like to be married to a prophet. And then we talk a little bit about the future and how the prophetic is changing the world through young people who are hearing the voice of God and making a difference. It's an amazing episode. So excited to get started. Alrighty, it's so good to be back um, doing another podcast with Julian and Katia, Frequency Conversations. Um, Today, I'm excited. We're going to be talking a little bit about the prophetic, which is a huge emphasis of Frequency Ministries. We love the prophetic. We love talking on the prophetic. And Julian is an expert in the prophetic. What? I don't know about being expert. I don't know about that, but um, he has a lot of great insights. And so I thought that we'd start just by asking you, Julian, just to share a little bit of your journey in the prophetic and how you knew um, you were gifted in that area. And yeah, just go ahead and just share some of that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, So good to have your listeners listening to this. I think for me, the prophetic started out when I was... Gosh, very young, God um, began to reveal himself to me. I think um, the first sense of God's presence for me was when I was about the end of my third, beginning of my fourth year. My parents, who are amazing pioneers, and they love Jesus and do amazing things for him, prayed for me, and I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember being on their bed, being prayed for, being filled with the Spirit, speaking in other tongues. And it kind of unlocked the sense of, expectation that God was real, um, uh, the sense of my value to him, that he wanted me to feel his presence in a very real way. I thank God that we don't get junior Holy Spirit, we get the fullness of God. Mm. Um, And I think that when that happened for me at the end of my third, beginning of my fourth year, it kickstarted a sense of an appetite for the presence of God that I can't really explain other than it just was there. Um, and I, I was, I just longed to know God. Um, mm. By the age of nine, I, I could recognize that I was starting to feel things and see things. I'd read scriptures that the pastor would then preach about, or I'd have a sense of people and what they were going through. And um, the prophetic began to just get unlocked, I suppose, like that. Um, I was in a meeting in particular where a, a very good a friend of our family, a strong prophetic voice, a lady called Janet Bran Hollis prayed for me and it just unlocked the prophetic. She prophesied that God would use me as a prophet to the nations and have influence all over the world and that there was a sense of call on my life. And that really began to unlock the voice of God. So for me, really, it was through an impartation and I just started hearing God's voice. How old were you when she prophesied over you? I was about nine years old when that happened. And um, yeah, so I think for me, um, I started hearing God's voice very clearly, very accurately, right from a young age. Mm-hmm. By the time I was um, 
15, uh, the, the kind of explosive moment in terms of ministry in the prophetic happened for me during the season of 1994 when the Holy Spirit was being poured out in Toronto at um, John and Carol Arnott Church. Um, we had some people who had returned from there and a minister prayed for me and the Holy Spirit met with me in just hmm. phenomenal way, I began to bounce up and down, and he took my shy, introverted, hmm. closed off, shut down self, and completely transformed me to be um, someone who carried the prophetic and started preaching and prophesying publicly wow. from the age of 15, and I've been doing so ever since. Wow. Uh, so it's an incredible privilege, um, and I, I think because I had a number of prophetic words, a number of prophetic encounters, and other people recognizing the gift of prophecy in me and on me, I began to see it being developed. Mm -hmm. um, my parents helped steward that, um, but also I began to realize, actually, I'm called to carry prophetic grace and to operate in the space of being a prophet for yeah. the sake of the nations. Yeah. What, one of the questions we get asked a lot by people because they know you, um, is is what is the difference between the office of a prophet and having a prophetic gifting? Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a lot of confusion in that with some people who may proclaim to be prophets who aren't or um, may not recognize their own gift or or um, in the prophetic. So how do you how do you see the dif differentiation there? Um, Ah, Jeshua, as usual, throwing a few controversial questions in. Um, I, I think for me, just to say this, first and foremost, if you have to preface your name with prophet, you're probably not one. Um, that, so we shouldn't start calling you prophet, Julian. No, that is just not fun. And, you know, the nature of any gift ministry in the Bible is to be serving hard and to lay down their life yes. for the sake of others so they come into their destiny. So my whole aim as a prophetic person or someone who's recognized as a prophet is to equip other people to prophesy. And I think that's mm. the big thing. I think that everyone can prophesy, but not everyone can equip others to prophesy at a high level. Yeah, that's okay. good. Level. And I think there's a big difference between... Um, just simply being able to prophesy and being able to impart the gift of prophecy. Um, and, yeah. and I find that that is one of the key hallmarks, that they're able to teach and create a culture in which other people prophesy mm. and fully function in different gifts and different callings and different anointings. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think the other thing uh, is that a, a prophet is not, simply recognized by the number of travel miles they've earned <laughs> because they're the latest flavor of the month. The travel, uh, a prophet is recognized by their ability to incarnate a message. In other words, they wow. carry a particular theme of heaven, a particular message. And, and very often, certainly for my life, I've had to live the message before I've ever brought a message in mm -hmm. terms of a corporate sense of God's word. Um, and then lastly, I, I often say the difference between a prophetic person and a prophet is about 25 years okay. of learning to grow, learning to, to go, and learning to understand how God works. I, I thank God that it seems to me that he is shortening that, and certainly the prayer of our ministry is that people step up onto a much higher level, much higher platform, that my best moment in the prophetic would become the starting point for many yeah. people. 
but I think the, the difficulty with the sharpness of your prophetic gift is that it has to be matched by your personal history with God. Hmm. Because yeah. it's your personal history that determines how you live out the prophetic word and how you live as a prophet that equips and encourages and releases other people. I, hmm. I have found that prophets tend to live uh, with the future in mind. They're living tomorrow, today. <laughs> but it seems like the church is still catching up with yesterday. Yeah. And so a prophet's life acts like a holy tension that pulls the past into the future whilst having already tasted something of the future. It creates a holy wow. tension, a holy frustration <laughs> that brings the past and the future together in the present so things are accelerated. And I think wow. um, when you live like that, it, it creates um, a personal history with God that, that sets you up to have a platform in the nations. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the ultimate way you're known to be a prophet is that other people call you a prophet because of the track record mm. of not just bringing good words of knowledge where you get information and you forensically diagnose people's issues or where they're at or sicknesses or whatever, but actually foretelling mm. what God's about to do, that there's a dynamic in which what you say about the future comes to pass and you've yeah. got a track record and other people start recognizing you. So yeah. you will never see my business card with Prophet Julian Adams <laughs> on it. But what you will see it and yeah are other people telling stories about the fact that they view me as a prophet. Mm. And I'm comfortable. I, God spoke to me like I said when I was nine that I'd be a prophet. I've only been recognized as a prophet in my late twenties, early thirties. Um and I didn't go around calling myself that until other people first recognized yeah. it in the community of the believers and in the wider body of Christ. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that tension thing that you were mentioning, I really like that. I mean, you see that in biblical prophets, mm. that that whole holy, what would you say, frustration sort yeah. of a thing and tension between what you see God doing and what is actually happening on earth. Um, and I want to talk more in a minute about how you were saying, talking about raising up prophets, and that's one of the calls of a prophet. But first of all, just to, um, like, you you heard God from a really, really early age, really clearly, and that's not everyone's experience. That wasn't my experience. I don't know if that was your experience, Katia, but I'd love to hear just you, your perspective as a non-profit um, <laughs> voice who is prophetic. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely my experience is different to Julian's, and like you say, whilst... I would recognize him to be a prophet. Um, I'm definitely not a prophet, but um, can operate in prophetic Mm. gifting. Amazingly. Um, What's beautiful uh, about the atmosphere that my parents kind of set in our home is that there was a general expectation all the way through growing up to hear God's voice. Mm. So I remember being in, even in kind of family prayer meetings when, when I was a kid, when I was seven or eight, and there was the the encouragement of what do you think God is saying about this? And there was this uh, kind of expectation being built in us, even as children, me and my sisters, that God wants to speak to his people. Um, and it wasn't, I mean, we weren't thinking about being prophets or being <laughs> prophetic. It was just kind of part and parcel of being the people of God. You get to hear his voice. Um, but I definitely didn't have anything nearly as dramatic in my experience as maybe Julian has um, just described. And I remember kind of um, when Julian and I first met, um, 
my experience of hearing God's voice would have been at that level that I was saying in terms of in my family, um, in moments of prayer or in meetings or even being out and about and kind of just stretching the muscle of stepping out in faith and uh, trying to hear God for people and sharing um, what I would now probably describe as blessed thoughts for them, which is wonderful because people felt loved and I was operating in faith, which is what <laughs> really pleases God. But I remember when I met Julian and he started telling me, um, just as we were getting to know each other, some of his experiences, some of the encounters that he was having with God. And I started to see firsthand him operating in his gift. Uh, I, I remember getting really frustrated, if I'm totally <laughs> honest, and being like, this isn't fair, kind of yeah. having this... Um, a godly jealousy of uh, I yeah. want what he gets and it's really annoying that he gets it and um I I remember this moment where I was really frustrated after he told me about an encounter feeling that um I wasn't allowed to have the same sort of encounter that he'd had because it's okay for him he's a prophet but what yeah. do I do I'm not a prophet it means I can't have that and I remember God speaking to me and saying to me you've totally misunderstood what the office of a prophet is for. And in my thinking, you know, the gifts described in Ephesians 4, um, they're kind of, in the way that I was thinking about it then, they were kind of superhero Christians. They got to mm. do extra special things that ordinary Christians didn't get to do. And so... Um, if, Sorry, for people who may not know those, it's yes, apostles, apostles, yeah, good prophets, question. Apostles, teachers, prophets, yeah. teachers, pastors, and evangelists. And in Ephesians 4, it says, Jesus gave these people as gifts to the church. And mm. um, I remember kind of processing this moment with God and he was saying you've misunderstood because you think because Julian is a prophet there are experiences reserved for him as a prophet that ordinary Christians won't be able to have but actually he led me to study Ephesians 4 closely and showed me how Ephesians 4 talks about those gifts not being given to the church as superheroes who get to mm, do the stuff yeah. and everyone else has to watch and feel a little bit left out. But actually Ephesians 4 says that these gifts have been given to the church in order to equip and empower the church, in order to equip and empower every person, mm -hmm. uh, the ordinary Christians, to to do the work of ministry. In other words, these five gifts aren't the ministers and the rest of us sit and watch and feel jealous. Yeah. But these five gifts have been given to the church in order to equip the church to be the ministers. Mm -hmm. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever gifting we feel we have, these five groups of people have been given to the church to equip us um, in, in every form of ministry so that the whole body, Ephesians 4 says, grows up into fullness and maturity mm. uh, into being the full picture of Jesus, our head. And wow. when Jesus showed me this, and as God started speaking to me about this, I realized that what I was seeing in Julian's life and the encounters he, were he was describing to me weren't meant to be um, stories that made me feel left out, but rather were stories that were uh, an invitation from God to me, if you like, mm -hmm. because God had given me this wonderful gift of a husband who is a prophet. And every time Julian described an encounter to me, it was almost like I, I was starting to see that God was inviting me into those same encounters because the whole point of those gifts is that they're multiplying gifts. Yeah, the whole point cool. of those gifts is that they're equipping gifts, which means 
not only when prophets tell us stories, but when apostles tell us stories mm. or evangelists tell us stories, the point of those stories isn't to make us feel like those gifts are superheroes and we're mm -hmm. not invited, but rather every one of those testimonies is an invitation from God to see in our own lives the very same things we hear multiplied and reproduced. And so yeah. I'm starting to see not only is it a gift being married to Julian because he's <laughs> wonderful, but also is just such a privilege to do life alongside a prophet who, um, in the wisdom of God, was created to hear God in such phenomenal ways. But I get to enter into the grace that's on Julian's life and see those things multiplied in me. And and really, my yeah. testimony is that, that it works. This isn't theory. Being married to Julian has meant that I've received so much of the grace um, from him being a prophet, that my prophetic gifting is much sharper now than it was before our friendship started. My um, ability to hear God's voice, how I step out in prophecy mm. is much, much sharper now. And that's proof of why prophets were given to the church. They were given to release grace to the church so that gifts would be multiplied. So yeah, yeah that's my story. There's yeah, <laughs> That's really exciting um, because... Yeah, it just means that none of us are left out from any of those exactly. gifts. Exactly. It's also challenging because it means we have no excuse not to grow in every area of the fivefold. We can't use the excuse of, oh, I'm an introvert, so I don't totally. do evangelism or, you know, I'm, I'm not prophetic. Actually, no, if we have prophets and teachers and evangelists and so forth in our life, we have no excuse not to grow that's um, exactly right. Yeah. That's yeah, because really cool. we can either become jealous or we can become passive and yeah. neither reality is okay. Yeah. We're to mm. be engaged. And I, um, I was actually talking to a group about this yesterday. If we have uh, one of those gifts in our lives, that means that God wants to extend the grace from the, that gift to us. <laughs> and, and so the whole purpose of engaging with those people in terms of the gift is is this knowledge that that very thing is to be multiplied in us. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's no room for sitting back and letting someone else do the work. Yeah. Because and it's like, no, it's an invitation. <laughs> I think if I may chip in here, yeah, I think one of the most beautiful things about the whole expression of fivefold ministry gifts is that they're just that. They mm. are graces. They are gifts to the church. They do not come through us working hard at something, but simply being a pasha of receiving the grace mm. on, on their lives so we then get to grow in that grace ourselves and so I love hanging out with evangelists because suddenly I start evangelizing yeah. a bit yeah. better yeah. I love hanging out with apostolic mothers and fathers because suddenly I produce disciples in churches and think through the lens of kingdom transformation better yeah. um, and, and for all of those gifts and the Bible says that that's what maturity looks like Suddenly, all those graces working together, each joint supplying grace to grow and to flow together, suddenly begins to look a little bit more like Jesus on the yeah. earth. Yeah. And that's the whole aim of these things. And so I, I'm so glad that God is restoring a supernatural worldview and a kingdom mm. worldview to the church so that we all find our space and place. Yeah, very yeah. much And so. not just a superstar, you know, apostle is at the top of a pyramid because yeah. they've got mm -hmm. a big church. No, 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 no. It looks like apostolic grace being multiplied in every yes. aspect of the church as it goes for every other gift. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So back back to the prophetic um, for you, Julie, and you're talking about this multiplication. Um, I've heard you talk before about a just a new 
I think you've used the word new breed of prophet or just a different um, type of prophetic movement that you see emerging. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what you see the future of the prophetic looking like that's that's in contrast to what it maybe has been? Yeah, I, I think that um, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, right, in, in many ways. And I think that some of what I'm about to say actually is connected very deeply to an understanding of what biblical prophetic ministry looks like. Um, but I believe that it's been a long time since there's been an opportunity for a generation like the rising millennial generation to be able to incarnate, embody, and grab a hold of the season and to bring a clarity around prophetic ministry like it is at the moment. Uh, I, I love connecting with um, millennials. I'm just outside the millennial age gap. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, only just proper, started. only just. Um, <laughs> but there, you know, I I think of myself as more of a millennial because I can work a mobile you're phone. You're so cool, and I'm on Instagram. Um, but I, seriously, I think that millennials have a clean slate in many ways. In that, when you when you see some of the the um, psychology and the psyche of millennials. Um, they're no more rules. They're no definables. There's yep. no, I need to work a nine to five job. Um, there's this high sense of engagement with, uh, justice and mercy. This high sense of what's right needs to be, um, celebrated and prepared for. Um, and obviously there comes a whole lot of negatives and with every generation, they think that maybe they don't do so well, but I, love the fact that there seems to be a permission being given to this millennial generation to uh, reimagine what the world could be like. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, Walter Brueggemann talks about this. He's a theologian who, who talks about the kind of prophetic burden, uh, which is to reimagine the world and to reculturize it with hope. And I feel like that's where this millennial generation carries things. And there's such a high sense of justice and passion and bring on the revolution. We're going to fight things. We're going to overturn systems. We're going to overturn government and all sorts of stuff. What's beautiful is that if you have a kingdom worldview, particularly as a millennial, you get to reimagine what that looks like through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. And you get to return to a biblical, ancient way of being the prophetic and that their life shifted things culturally, yeah. their life and their message. It wasn't just let me talk. It wasn't just armchair <laughs> um, critique. It wasn't just the safety of anonymity on a social media platform. No, no, it was yeah. the way they lived and the way they communicate. Mm. And I believe that this next season of the prophetic is going to restore an understanding of what it means to incarnate genuine prophetic hope mm. and to shift cultures around um, and to erase the lines of uh, what we think theologically is most important, <laughs> what we think is most important to do with our church tradition. And to say, do you know what? There's a, a clean slate. We get to reimagine what mm. our world looks like. And and I believe God's inviting this millennial generation, this modern move of prophetic people who have not just um, disengaged from culture, have not just 
set aside their thought processes. They actually are engaging every aspect yeah. of that, engaging with culture and bringing change in a significant way. And, and, yeah. and I think, um, yeah, I think it's awesome. Hmm. Do, you, do you have any examples of people who you've seen kind of dip into that or um, in any way? Gosh, I mean, I, I think that the, a few people that I, I can think of with the top of my head. Um, so I'm thinking of some friends of mine who lead a community in Cape Town who moved into one of the most deprived areas of Cape Town mm. and who prophetically have begun to shift the culture mm. in the way they, they live in community. They've invited the, the drunkards, the alcoholics, the gang leaders <laughs> into their home. And the result is that their part of the world is starting to look more beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, even even some stuff around um, legislation is beginning to shift because of the way that they're engaging. These wow. are young, uh, significantly wealthy professionals moving into deprived areas and not just shouting about white privilege being wrong because these guys all are generally white privileged people moving into areas mm. that are run down they are thinking about how do we buy homes how do we how do we uh provide practical opportunities how do they walk through life with those who've been living on the street for so long and they're living it in a way hmm. that is very beautiful and they're inc- incarnating they're they're yeah. they they putting for a better word flesh to the gospel yes. in the way that they live. <laughs> yeah. There's tangibles. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. I think of some other friends of mine who uh, are involved in online spaces and they're starting to think, what? how do I use my online space? You know, the millennial kind of social media dynamic is being hit up with influencers who are using their influence to gain wealth and to gain sponsorship from lots of people. But yeah. they are guys who are actually thinking, how do I use my words? Like, how does how does my Instagram story feed become a way to disrupt the conversation and to bring hope and culture change? Yeah. Um, how do how do I use my Facebook not just to rant about what's good or bad or to show off another picture of what I'm eating, but actually how do I engage? Yes. To to start to think and to start to release a new sound that resonates with heaven, hmm. that resonates with the frequency of heaven, mm-hmm. and I think those kinds of things are amazing. And then you know, countless. No, well, not countless, a number of people who are involved in entertainment who are living in a way that is against the culture, not simply riding with the culture, but not just going against the culture in protest, but demonstrating the culture yes. of heaven. And by doing so, it is shifting something yes. for people. And so, you know, my, my friend Sean Balch has got incredible influence in, in Hollywood with the church that he planted, who's now being led by another amazing couple, but just incredible to see how they're shifting the rhetoric yes. that once what we thought was evil and untouchable is now being penetrated with a prophetic message of hope because mm-hmm. light really does belong in dark places. Yeah, And I think that's, that's the exciting thing that's happening. Um, yeah. That's great. Now, yeah. I think if you want to add some no, of our I'm friends. I'm just thinking, of, just as you're describing, I'm like, it's the the exciting spectacular moment of heaven invading earth in each of the examples you've described is someone choosing to 
embody a message, not just preach it. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's good. so often, uh, both in, in the prophetic, but I think it, it goes across the board in terms of Christianity, we can be very quick to talk a message because mm-hmm. it's low cost. It's yep. really easy to sit and preach whatever we like. But but the the really exciting moment, the adventure of kingdom happens only when we're choosing to embody it. And what you were talking about in terms of a, a new breed of prophets or a next generation of prophets, uh, really it's about people who who choose to take it beyond just talking a message and instead become that message. Yeah, that's good. Um, and that's when the manner of our message becomes really important because you can live something out with the motivation of bringing just bringing justice or you can live something out with the motivation of love to bring justice. And those two things can look very, very different mm-hmm. because the love... Um, the love element catapults something into a kingdom reality where if not any message can just become, you know, non-Christians can do social justice. Yeah. But what we do, the manner of embodying our message has to be clothed in love, yeah. Yeah. clothed in God's love. And, and that changes everything. So, yeah, yeah, I'm just, it's so I, exciting hearing what you're talking about. I, I also think one of the things that um, we forget about the prophetic, particularly in in the Old Testament and indeed even in the New Testament, is that between the promise fulfilled and the prophetic word is a process. Mm. And I think what God has done in this last season with the advent of people like Brené Brown and numbers of other um, voices who are encouraging an emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. unlike the world has seen up until this moment in history, is so beautiful because I think millennials are committed to, um, I suppose, work through some of the process and to get to the deep emotional stuff. And Mm -hmm. that can sometimes paralyze people because they get caught up in a spiral of trying to deal with emotions. But the beauty of that worldview infused with the power of the gospel Mm -hmm. means that you get to process your emotions and be empowered to walk in wholeness through your emotions. Yeah, and so wow. suddenly the places that you have influence, you're not result-driven, you're process-focused so that you live and walk through the issues with people mm-hmm. rather than simply just look to bring an answer. Yeah. We, we help shift the thinking of a people that way. And I think that kind of awareness of emotional intelligence which God is maturing in this generation, is going to do so much for releasing happy, mm. good, mm. clear, prophetic words wow. that then shift things for people in, in an amazing way. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm hearing, oh, there's so many questions I could <laughs> ask around the prophetic. It just opens up a huge thing. Um yeah, I, I'm hearing you obviously talk about love, hope, um, meaning. I think as a millennial myself, those are all like the words that I'm looking for in in, um, in the prophetic. And unfortunately, that always or hasn't always been reflected in prophetic um, before. And can you just tell me, Julian, just a bit about the difference between maybe a gloom and doom prophetic word or a, a word hmm. of warning, that sign type of stuff and should people be giving um words of warning um 
It's a good question. Oh, thanks. You know, I, I, firstly, I want to say the greatest prophet that has ever lived is Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and uh, the Bible says he's our model for prophetic ministry, um, as he is for any ministry. And the Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions, which means he was pretty happy and seemed to find himself <laughs> being more comfortable with the down and outs, with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with the sinners, mm. um, than he was with the religious or the well-to-do, put-together people types. Yeah. He, he seemed to really enjoy the company of partygoers and <laughs> he seemed to really enjoy eating a lot of food. Um, he was happy. People liked to hang out with him. He was a yes. happy person. Um, and, and it's incredible, even in the midst of suffering, the reason he goes through suffering is because of joy. The Bible says it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And I I think it's really important that we understand the new covenant introduces a new way of being the people of God. It also introduces a new way of being those who carry prophetic ministries. And I think that the biggest deal that happens is that we see this beautiful picture, the Bible says, of God in Christ, bringing the world to himself in relationship, reconciliation, the Bible calls it. And then it says this beautiful thing. He's not counting sin against people he's not doing the maths and going you are in debt to me because of your sinfulness no no because of what he did in christ on the cross because of how the father was involved in the beautiful sacrifice that we see on the cross sin is a non-issue because all of the implications of sin and the impact of sin have been dealt with Are there consequences if I continue to live in a place of sin? Absolutely. Will I reap what I've sown in bad decisions that are sinful? Absolutely. But even into that, God can turn it around because Mm -hmm. he's so for us. And I think the overwhelming sense that I get actually from both the Old and the New Testament is that he loves us. The Bible says in the Old Testament that he is slow to anger. And I think because we maybe have turned that around and said he is quick to anger, yeah. that his wrath is mm-hmm. burning against us, we've had all these prophets come out with words that speak of judgment. And I think there is a difference in that on the cross, all everything that was needed to bring a judgment against sin, the Bible says that Jesus took in himself. There, there is, there's no judgment to be brought anymore. Hmm. Hmm. And the reality is that what we see today in terms of warning words, in terms of God speaking into the consequences of sin or warnings to do with uh, world events that might be negative, is not God bringing judgment. Because when you understand the concept of parenting through the lens of love, you understand that God's discipline, God's dealing with us, God's warning with us is never for our judgment. It's never to assess us as being guilty of wrongdoing. It is always to prepare us for greater things. Hmm. And I think that dynamic of love, that dynamic of God's goodness, means that we begin to understand that actually what God is doing in us through prophetic words that maybe bring a warning sense is to prepare us so that we can respond in a biblical way, so that we can respond in love. Um, often when I 
get a sense of maybe a word that might have a natural disaster attached to it. I'm not praying for that to come to pass. Yeah, of course. I'm saying, God, please don't let that happen. Please, not that I believe God initiates natural disasters for the record, but he does give us a window, a glimpse into what might be coming. And then I get to partner with heaven to bring his perspective about what um, might be happening. And I think that understanding of being happy, being joyful, not looking through the lens of judgment, how we then deal with words that maybe are, have a warning sense and maybe do have a sense of rebuke actually comes through the context of love drawing people into an encounter with God and always providing an opportunity for his love to be on display and for lives to be changed. We need a whole lot more happier prophets. I'm so over <laughs> placards and prophets with doom oh, and gloom gosh. saying God's going to judge us. He's not. I love it when people say things like, you know, I come from Cape Town, which, you know, at one stage was the capital of homosexuality apparently in the world. We went through a drought and I heard someone say that it's the judgment of God on Cape Town. I'm like, my gosh, if homosexuality brings about a judgment, I can't bear to think what gossip does because they yeah. put together in wow. the same scriptural context, which would then mean most of the church would be obliterated. Yeah, yeah. let's um, be honest. It's just, oh, sweet Jesus, don't let me get on this horse and ride at home because it frustrates <laughs> me so much. That yeah. we have people making statements about the character of God that have got nothing to do with how Jesus is revealed. Yes. He's a friend of sinners, which means if Jesus were to be walking on the earth today, think of the most sinful place. He'd be right there mm. making friends yeah. and displaying yeah. the love of God. Yeah. That's what it truly means to be prophetic. Yeah. Yeah. You might get in trouble for that one. <laughs> yeah, I think you might. I'm happy to. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I think real quick, we're running out of time, but Julian, I would love you to share. Um, there's a story that I've heard you share before about giving a prophetic word. I think it was in a million dollar context. Can you yeah. just share that story? Because I think that's just an awesome picture of God's love for people and what, you know, this new movement of prophetic is meant to look like mm. on a practical sort of level. Gosh, I, I hope I'm going to get the right story, Jesh. You can stop me if it's the wrong one, yeah, and I'll readjust. <laughs> but yeah, I I get to get to prophesy over very very wealthy people and influential people in different contexts. I was invited into this high rise building, and I was feeling really like super nervous because I mean, what do I know about stocks and shares mm. and acting for me in those moments? I'm feeling the pressure to be highly specific, highly accurate, get detailed words of knowledge and speak about their future. And I was going in there thinking, Lord Jesus, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. There's so much pressure. <laughs> Here I am in this high-rise office block with all these very important people. And yes, even, even you feel those things. Yeah. That's encouraging. Oh <laughs> <laughs> so woefully underqualified is what I felt. Yeah. But God is so kind. I felt the Lord said to me in that moment, I don't want you to go for accuracy. I want you to go for his heart. Mm. Mm. I want you to reveal something of my love to him. Because at the end of the day, I've discovered that people need to know less about what their purpose is and more about what their value and worth is. Yeah. Mm. And uh, I remember getting in there, like literally freaking out. And as he walked in, God began to reveal some stuff about his family, 
about his daughter, about some things that he was going through in terms of his identity. And it's incredible whenever you start with someone's identity, it opens their heart to understand their purpose. Mm-hmm. And he began to weep as I was just bringing very simple words of knowledge that to me seemed inconsequential, but in terms of the timing and the moment for him was highly significant. Yeah. And uh, he began to weep and weep as I began to prophesy of him. I had the opportunity to lead him to Jesus off the back of that. So amazing. And then I get to prophesy about his great future. And it, mm. it taught me something. And I, I believe this is the beautiful thing about this next move of God is that God is raising up love prophets. Yes. Mm. Prophets who understand his love and who prophesy to the heart. Um, the, the psalmist talks about deep calling out to deep. Um, there's something in our generation that is looking for the depths of heaven to connect with the depths of their heart. Wow. And love is the currency. Love mm. is the way that that happens. And yeah, so I, I, I love that story just because God moved my focus away from the details to readjust my vision around loving the one that's in front of me well. Wow. Well, that is a great way to end. Thanks for sharing that story. Um, I'm personally really encouraged and excited to see what this next move of God and the prophetic ends up looking like. Um, If it's anything like that with love as the focus, um, it's going to change the world. I'm excited. Thanks for being here as always, guys. Yay! Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Frequency Conversations. Hey, if today's episode got you thinking that you want to grow in your prophetic gift, we've got two awesome resources online on our website at Frequency.org. If you go right there to our homepage, there's a link that says Prophecy 101. If you sign up there, you'll get our free e-course on the prophetic. It's five or four teachings from Julian, 10 minutes long each. They include homework and it's a bit interactive with us. We'd love for you to sign up for that. If you're looking to grow deeper in the prophetic and you've already explored the prophetic a little bit, but you just want to go a little bit deeper, we've got a course called Amplify. And this one's a lot longer. It's five hours of teaching from Julian. It includes an online workbook that's 71 pages of in-depth study in the prophetic. It's got stories, it's got tips, it's got meditations. It's a really, really awesome course. Just go to our online store, frequency.org store. And both of these series are included in the Frequency Partnership. This is a way of giving back to the people who partner with us by giving on a monthly basis. And there's no minimum donation. So if you give $5, if you give $100 a month, you're getting the same access to all of our online courses, including Amplify, including Prophecy 101, and so much more. Thanks again for listening to Frequency Conversations. If you liked this episode, don't forget to share.